Good morning. First John chapter 4 is where we'll start this morning. Hope you all are doing very well. I'm enjoying fall myself. Very brisk out there in the mornings. Father, thank you for today and thank you, God, for who you are to us and uh, all the things that you're doing in this church. And as we come before you, we ask, Lord, that you would help us to humble ourselves and to turn our attention and our affection to you, Lord. Uh, once again this week, we love you. We know that we need you. Uh, we know, Lord, that we have nothing without you. And we just pray, God, that you would continue to do something marvelous, incredible, amazing in us. Thank you, God, for uh, who you are. Thank you, God, for um, the ways that you're leading us. Thank you, God, for the work that you're doing in our hearts. And we pray that you would continue to do it. And we pray, Lord, that you would continue, Lord, to, uh, to help us stand before you and love you and be faithful, Lord, to the things that you've given to us and placed in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> First John chapter 4 is a, a passage that um, you all probably know quite well. Nevertheless, here we go. Verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son in the world, into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we, ought, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. Uh, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. And so we've come to know and to believe uh, the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, but whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. All right, so we know this passage of scripture. We love this passage of scripture some of us, and it's also very challenging. Uh, verse 20 here, I think, is uh, particularly challenging. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. This is very challenging. Uh, you know? Like, this is really challenging. Um, It would uh, seem slightly counterintuitive because we know that God is perfect and we are not. So it would seem um, intuitively uh, that it's easier to um, love a perfect God than to love imperfect people. That's what it would seem. But uh, if you think that, it's because you've confused the difference between loving and liking. Um, it's easier to like a perfect God because he's perfect, uh, but it's not easier to love a perfect God because there's more to humans that requires, um, there are more opportunities for us to respond uh, in love to people that are uh, imperfect. In fact, the more imperfect someone is, the more flawed someone is, the more opportunities there are for us to love them and to respond uh, in love towards them. Uh, is that welcome? No, it's not. <laughs> but uh, it, it is the reality of the situation, you know. The greatest difficulty, I think, in, uh, in, uh, in dealing with um, uh, people is the fact that they are imperfect, is the fact that they're sinners. I, it, is that not the greatest obstacle to human relationship and belonging and community and togetherness and peace and, like, every other thing? Is it, like people are imperfect. Uh, I, I feel like um, sometimes 
uh, I feel I feel like for a lot of Christians, like your life, would, it, you think that your life would be easier if everybody else were perfect. I don't know if like that makes sense. Um, uh, I, uh, have you ever um, sat down and talked to somebody about their life and um, and and uh, they've shared their life story with you and um, and, uh, and along the way, like this happened was bad and this happened was bad and this happened was bad and and and, uh, and it seems like their life has been defined by the things that other people have done that are wrong. Like like they've been pushed in this direction because somebody did something that was wrong and. And they were pushed in that direction because somebody did something that was wrong. Like, like I ran away from home because my father was abusive, and um, you know I picked up drinking because my mother was an alcoholic, and um, I didn't have a good time in school because my teachers were mean to me. Like, like, like your entire life has been defined by the imperfections of other people. Does that sort of make any sense? Um, all right. So, uh, like that—that's bizarrely common, right? Like, like isn't isn't that just like isn't that bizarrely common? It seems like. The explanation for so many different choices um, that we've made, for so many different um, things that 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 we've done, uh, uh, is is be- as as a reaction to like the things that you know other people are bad at or the ways in which they're wrong. It, but but God has put us in a world where everybody is a sinner, like <laughs> like where every single one of us is a sinner. And if if we exist in the world with a um, uh, with a paradigm of the world with a perspective that like my life would be good if everybody were perfect um we've kind of like really missed the point does that sort of make any sense um so uh in in proverbs um there's a proverb that says that um uh uh, if there's no cow i'm paraphrasing if there's no cow then the stall is clean but 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 with the cow comes much increase uh, which is um, which is to say that like that that God has created us to live in a world where like all activity comes with some complication, some imperfection, some some twist, you know, some nuance um, that that makes it a little different from um, uh, what we would idealize in our mind. But that's the the beauty of the world that He's created us and put us in. Like if um, God. Uh, uh, found it imperfect, uh, found it impossible for him to be perfect in the midst of a sinful world, he could have destroyed the world the moment that Adam sinned. But he didn't because the existence of sin does not prevent God from being who he is. And the existence of sin does not prevent us from being who we are called to be in God. So so for us often, um, we think that loving people is difficult because they're sinners. Uh, that's a misunderstanding, first of all, of what love is. And second of all, that's a misunderstanding. That's, the, the entire dynamic just sets you on a wrong track in life. Like, like if only this person didn't get angry so often, uh, I could deal with him. Uh, you know, if, if only she didn't oversleep all of her appointments, um, like, you know, she could work in my firm. Like, it, 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 that, that, that betrays a total misunderstanding of, uh, our place in the world and also the way that who God has called us to be. We are supposed to thrive in the midst of imperfection. Like, like, like does that make any sense? Like, we are supposed to thrive. It's not supposed to matter uh, uh, in terms of who we are. It's not supposed to matter in terms of who we are, um, the righteousness or unrighteousness of the people around us. And that's really important. Um, that's really important because uh, I, I don't know if, um, uh, I, I know that you know this theologically, but I, I don't know if it's the sort of thing that's like, pr- like, like front of mind. You know, the difference between like knowing something like back there and like knowing something that's like, <laughs> do you know? Like, like when you're um, safely ensconced in your apartment, you know theoretically that it's 40 degrees outside. But when you step out the front door, you know. <laughs> do you know because you wear shorts uh, in the wintertime that it's 40 degrees outside? Okay, so, so there's a difference between like, yeah, my phone says it's 40 degrees outside. Okay, there's a difference between my Bible says that all men are sinners and, and living uh, in a world where you're not constantly trying to reject that idea. There are people that say, um, you know, never meet your heroes because you're going to be disappointed. Why? Because they're sinners. Um, but maybe that's also what makes them heroes. Because if they were perfect, then the things that they are doing that you regard them as your heroes, like maybe it wouldn't be so hard if, if, they, were, if they were perfect. Do you know? And 
Oh, we love to, um, it's, it's the most normal, fle- it's, it's the most fleshly thing. I don't want to say normal because we're not supposed to be driven by the flesh, but it's the most flesh in the world to when we discover something that is, uh, that is um, uh, flawed, that, uh, sinful about someone, that we begin to reject them. Uh, and, and if you live like that, then you're going to be lonely your entire life. Like, you're never going to, like, I'm sorry, but you're just always going to be lonely. The, um, and, and so it, 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 it makes me deeply disappointed uh, when someone says something like, well, I left this ministry because my ministry leader was blah, blah, blah. Um, uh, I understand why it would seem like somebody's issues are so impossible to put up with that you have to leave. But, but when you're driven to make certain choices because of perceived wrongs, uh, perceived sins in other people, um, like where will you go for intimacy or for comfort or for love or for belonging? Like where will you go where people are so righteous that you're not going to be offended by and, and you're going to have sustained and long-lasting relationships? Do you know? There's a story in uh, Mark chapter 10, uh, which uh, maybe we'll just read it quickly here, and then um, I want to talk uh, about it a little bit. Um, it's a story that like, we're, uh, most of us are pretty, pretty intimately familiar with, um, but I, I just want you to see something, if, if that's okay. Uh, it's a story of the rich young man, starting in verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your mother and father. And he said, teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, we lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, free, a great possessions. Okay, this is a very interesting interaction. Uh, we talk about this story from time to time because I love this story. It's just, just want to give it a big hug. I really love this story. Because it's, it's kind of, it, in, in some way, it's kind of the story of life. Um, the rich young man uh, is not a bad person. He's a good person. And very often uh, in Sunday school, when we learned this story, we were like, well, look at that guy. He's a terrible guy. He's not a terrible guy. He's responding to the altar call, so to speak. You know, he's lived a righteous life, so to speak. He's very successful in the eyes of the world, which is the things that people can see, so to speak. Uh, if he were um, part of our church, um, not, if he were part of your fellowship, he'd be the president of the fellowship. Because he's the most responsive, he's the most sensitive, he's the most righteous, and he's the wealthiest. Which ever, who doesn't like that? If you're part of most church, I'd be the elder of the church. Like this is not a guy that is a bad guy. This is a guy that's a good guy in the eyes of most men. But the way that Jesus interacts with him is extremely, uh, amazingly wonderful. He comes up to Jesus, Jesus, and he says, "Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life?" So far, so good. Do you know what I mean? So far, so good. Right question to the right person. Good teacher. Who, I mean, humility, eagerness, passion, initiative, like, so far, so good. You know what I mean? Like, this is what we want to see. Like, hello, yay. Okay, and Jesus said, what, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your mother and father. And said, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Um, this is an incredible statement. Okay, who else in this room, if asked about these things, would say, all these I've kept from my youth? Who else? Like, it's not, his righteousness is not a trivial righteousness. Like, it's a, it's a pretty um, solid righteousness that he's demonstrating here. Do you know what I mean? And Jesus does not contest this. He's not saying, you liar. Like, he's not, no, he's not contesting that. Jesus accepts that he has kept all these things from his youth, all right? And this is uh, emblematic of the way that most relationships work. When you meet someone for the first time or when you have a passing knowledge of someone, the first thing that you typically run into because of the way that most people present themselves because of just the way the world works is the things about them that make them honorable, valuable, attractive in your eyes and in people's eyes in general. 
Um, they bring cookies to Sunday service. You're like, wow, what a great baker. Uh, you know, they help out with uh, something, uh, something, and you're like, wow, what a great servant. Um, uh, you know, they bring you boba, you know, in the middle of the week, and you're like, wow, what a generous giver. What a considerate person. Um, uh, if you don't have any of these traits that cause other people to be like, wow, you're great, um, there's something deeply wrong. <laughs> because most of the time what happens is the first things that we notice about people are the things that are worthy of celebrating in them. Does that make sense? All right. So, so that's what happens first. And, and, and it's very interesting that Jesus is doing this in, in conversation form, but really what is happening is this is, it's a conversation that is a narrative about the way that relationships very often work. And so he, he, but he's doing it in conversation form. So, so he says, um, so he says, you know, do these things, uh, you know, uh, and, and the guy says, I've done all of them. And, and, and so Jesus is um, revealing, first of all, this guy's a stranger, nobody knows him, but Jesus is revealing all the wonderful things about him. Correct? Okay. And then it says this, and then it says, Jesus looking at him loved him. And this is where love steps in. So Jesus looking, and I, this is actually one of my favorite phrases in the entire Bible. Jesus looking at him loved him. And in loving him, Jesus looked through the initial screen of the things that are righteous and attractive and things that everybody celebrates and everybody likes. And he looked into his heart to see the things that are unlovely and difficult to love. Right? Jesus, looking at him, loved him, and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. And disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. I love this story. Um, because Jesus gets to the point where he, you see, he reveals all the wonderful things about him, and then he, he steps through that because he, he then after that, then you, there's a moment where, uh, an opportunity where you actually get to press into things that are deeply unattractive about that individual. And, and in love, Jesus penetrates that place and says, I'm going to expose the things that are deeply unlovely about you and give you an opportunity to step outside of that so that we can have a relationship and be together. And the guy who was unlovely, see, it was not Jesus that rejected him for his unloveliness. The guy that was unlovely said, I don't want my unloveliness to be known and to be exposed. I, I, I don't want to fix that. I want to be that. And so he went away and, and rejected the relationship. Okay, this is the story of life. Because what happens is that um, it's very easy for us to get excited about people because um, when we meet them, what is presented to us and what we begin to see, not immediately, but over the course of weeks and months, is all the wonderful traits about them. Oh, you know, she's so organized. Oh, you know, he's such a great coder. You know, oh, you know, she's such a great preacher. Like, oh, he's such a great singer. Like, like, like we begin to, like, notice these things and, and, and they just, I'm, frankly, like, if you're interested in celebrating people, people's strengths just, like, like jump out. It's not it doesn't take a lot of discernment to figure out what, the, what things people are good at, honestly. It's just like, have you ever, like, you know, uh, like we're in a busy place, and um, I, I apologize if to some of you this seems very shallow. I assure you it's not. But um, have you ever been to a busy place, like, you know, with, like, lots of people? It's not that hard to tell who's good looking and who's not. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> does it take a lot of discernment? Like, you're at a concert or a museum or whatever. Like, does it take a lot of discernment to, like, tell who's good looking? No, it does not, actually. It's just, like, immediately obvious. Joanne said, yeah. It takes no, it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. It's just, like, immediately obvious who's good looking, who's not good looking. You're like, I mean, to your eyes. You know, who's attractive to your eyes, you know, and who's, who's not. Like, it, it's immediately obvious, right? Like, the things, but, but it's, it's not easy to tell who's prideful. Like, like, if you watch with 500 people, you know who's prideful, but you do know who's good looking. Like, you know, that's like, we got that covered. But prideful, not sure about. Insecure, like, you know, impatient, like, we don't know. Judgmental, no idea. Like, greedy, like, no. But, the, but good looking, yes, we know. It's the same with, like, with everything else. Like, people's kindness, frankly, like, if you spend some time with them, it just kind of, it just jumps out, like, at you. I mean, unless you're not into celebrating people and you're so self-consumed, you're always thinking about yourself, then, of course, nothing about anybody would jump out at you, except maybe their good looks. But, but typically, like, you can recognize people's kindness, people's servant heart, people's uh, administrative abilities, people's prophetic gift. Like, like, these things kind of, you know, they just, they jump out at you over time. And, and, and that's the story of all relationships is, you know, do not murder, do not steal, do not commit adultery, honor your mother and father. And he says, I've done all these things. And that's right. Like, like these things all jump out. They're obvious to everybody who looks. 
And who wants to tell? And then, and that's where love steps in. And that's where it says, and Jesus looking at him loved him. It's not that Jesus didn't love him before. It's that now love has something to do. Because having seen all the wonderful things about that person, you just pull that curtain aside and you step forward and you get into the stuff that is unlovely about them. And the question is, after you've reached that stage, do you still love and honor and value that person? Do you still want to hold them close? And will they allow it, recognizing that you know the things that are unlovely about them? That's the part that's difficult. It's like, she's a great coder, but she's also super judgmental. You know, like, like, <laughs> no, serious, like, he's very serving, but he's also deeply insecure. Like, like it, it's, it's, it's that, it's, it's that, that, that makes it really hard. That makes it really hard. There are plenty of people that, um, if, you, if you watch 100 hours of them talking on a podcast or like in, uh, uh, preaching, like you have no idea what the problems with them are because all you're seeing is the gift that they have uh, being presented to you. And uh, the question is, if you step forward, like if you step like just beyond that into relationship and you notice that actually there's some broken things in their life, like do you still love and do you still honor and do you still want relationship with that person or not? That, like that, that's, that's the difficult part. And if it seems difficult to us, it's because we don't understand the world that God has put us into. He has put us in a world where sin should not be shocking, where character flaws should not be shocking, where immaturity and foolishness, these are not things that was shocking. They exist in every single one of us. They exist in all of your heroes. They exist in all the heroes of the faith. They exist in everyone, everywhere. Like, this is the world we live in. We live in a world where everyone is unlovely in certain ways. And if you can't love unlovely people, you just can't love. And if you can't have relationship with unlovely people when their unloveliness is exposed, then you'll just, like, then, then the Bible says that you are, if, if you say that you love God, that you are a liar if you can't deal with and come close to deeply imperfect people. Do you know? Hmm. There are different approaches to this. One approach, uh, which you may have heard of and read books about, is uh, called the honor approach, uh, which is that you simply ignore the things that people aren't very good at, focus on the things that people are good at, honor them for that, and try to build a relationship off of the things that people are good at, ignore the things that people are not. Uh, problem. Um, the problem is that uh, when you have a relationship exclusively with the parts of people that are good, um, it doesn't really allow you to love them. Uh, because love doesn't really operate um, as dynamically <laughs> when you're dealing with the, the valuable things in people as it does when you're dealing with, it, with the dirt and the trash in people. Like that's where the love really comes out. That's where the patience comes out. That's where the kindness comes out. That's you remember Jesus said that when you have a party, don't invite your rich friends and your rich neighbors and the people that are gonna invite you back because What's the point of that? I'm paraphrasing. But he says, what's the point of that? When you have a party, invite the people that are never going to invite you back because they can't invite you back because they, can't, they don't have money to host parties. That's the type of party that you should have. Kindness is the same way. If you're going to be kind, shouldn't you be kind to people that are not going to be kind to you back? Or should you be kind to people that are going to be kind to you back? And does that make any sense? Like, kindness operates best when you're being kind to someone who's not kind in return. Or, or, or maybe a, a little bit more broadly, someone who doesn't deserve your kindness like in return. Isn't that the point of kindness? And so the, uh, the problem with the approach of, of, of building a culture that is, revolves purely around honor is that you're not actually allowing people to grow in love. People can't grow in love when they only recognize the good things in people and pretend like the bad things don't exist. And furthermore, you can't grow in intimacy because your intimacy revolves around people's strengths and you have no room or ability to deal with people's weaknesses. You just don't know how to do it because you've never done it because you've been taught your whole life, ignore it. And so that doesn't really work. The much better approach is, is to recognize in advance 
that this is the world that God has set us into, that it is a feature and not a bug, that everybody is a sinner. That's a feature. That's not a bug. That's a feature. And given that that is a feature, the question is, what is the most loving thing to do, and how do we deal with and live Christ-like in the midst of sinners? Do you know? Um, in the world that we live in, there, there are definitely there are things that have been created to, 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 to root out the things that we don't like. For instance, um, uh, we love nature. Okay, some of us <laughs> love nature, but in nature there's like bugs uh, and rocks and moss and bacteria and animals and snakes and like you know things like that. There, like, there are things about nature that we don't like, and so we build cities and build fences and gates, and we you know keep nature out, and so we live in concrete and bricks and things. And, and the problem with all this is that, you see, there's no bugs in this room, uh, but there's also nothing alive. Like, it's all very dead. <laughs> and I don't know if, like, I don't know if that makes any sense, but, like, there's something uncomfortable about that, you know, where it's just, like, like, like it's just, it's all very dead, you know? Um, I, was, I was so amazed this week. Um, because um, I open my window. No, I mean, I open my window all the time, but, but, uh, but, but, but I just noticed it somehow for the very first time when I opened my window this week. Um, and uh, we, we, we live in a building with, uh, the, uh, where the windows are nice, uh, the, uh, they're, they're noise-isolating windows. And so um, I open the, and, and normally, you know, even though we live on a street, like, it's, it's, it's pretty quiet. Um, and so I was working in the middle of the workday this week, and I was like, I'm going to open my window because it's, it's fall. Why am I doing this? Um, it's fall, and, and, and it's nice and cool. And I opened the window. It was so loud, y'all. Like, um, we live on the fourth floor. Like, it was so loud. It was like cars, and there's like ambulances, and fire trucks, and people, and people are yelling, and, and it's just like, there's delivery trucks, and there's moving trucks, and trucks are backing up, and why is everything so loud? And then I closed and was like, oh my gosh, it's so quiet. And then I opened, and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is so loud. And it's, it's incredible how good humans have been uh, at cocooning themselves from the things that they don't like about the world that God has created. It's, it's interesting all the different ways that we have created uh, to sort of siphon off the things that we like and reject the things that we don't like. For instance, white rice. We don't like the outside of the kernel of rice, but we like the inside, and so we shave the outside off, and then we eat white rice. Unfortunately, that's a pathway to diabetes. But, but it's kind of the story of life, where it's like we, we pick and choose, you know, like about the good things, and, and we don't embrace the entire world is, is, is God has created it. But there's something that is, is there, there, I, I have um, uh, a principle that is very important. Like, I actually believe God has created the world correctly. I don't know if that makes, did you know? Like, I believe that God has created the world correctly. Like, in other words, I believe that if God wanted us to um, have uh, white rice, um, that he would have created it without the outside shell, which is impossible to get off unless, you know, you have a machine of, 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 of some sort. Like, I don't know if that makes any sense, but, like, I believe that God has created the world correctly. And what that means is I, 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 I'm very skeptical of some of the things that men have created to shape the world according to their liking, leaving the things that they don't like because we don't realize that the things that we don't like actually, they're actually significant, like in some ways. Relationships is one of those things. Like the, the, uh, one of the great inventions of the 21st century, great, I don't mean in a godly sense, I mean like in a, like a, a, a value, economic value sense, is the way that we've been able to tailor shape our relationships. Things like Instagram and, 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 you know, AIM back in the day, if you know what AIM is. Um, text messaging and like, th there's lots of ways that we've, that, that, that we have um, uh, allowed ourselves to actually filter relationships and to shape relationships so that we don't have to deal with the fullness of who someone is. So that we don't have to deal with them in their moments of difficulty, so that we don't have to deal with the nasty, with the difficult, with the hard things about them, and we only um, get to, we only have to deal with, like, you know, the, with with the good things about them, and you know, YouTube, like all these things have 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 helped us to to create a world where we can see the good things about people and leave the bad things because we don't care about, we don't need the bad things, and 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 we just expose ourselves to the good things about people, right? So their gifts, their artistic ability, like their, um, uh, uh, you know, the products they produce, the art that they like, like that's what we expose ourselves to and, and the nasty things we just don't deal with. Um, unfortunately, that doesn't help us to love anyone. And it's not the way that God has taught us to relate to people. The way for us to relate to people is to relate to them holistically. Do you know? And that's what 
families are, and, and that, that's the difficulty of family, is that you, you, unlike everybody else, have to deal with the wholeness of someone. And so, like, you know, Uncle Joe is grumpy, but he shows up at your house, you know, every Sunday night because the whole family gets together every Sunday night. And, and gosh, nobody likes Uncle Joe because, you know, he's, he's really hard to, he's, 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 he's rough. Um, you know, but his colleagues at work don't have to deal with this side of Uncle Joe because, he, first of all, he doesn't show because they all work remotely. <laughs> Do you know? And I'm very concerned about a church that, that, that is willing to adopt ideas um, uh, to shape their relationships in such a way that we don't have to deal with each other's sin. Because there's something deeply missing in that kind of a community and those kind of relationships. It is specifically because Alice and Bob, actually that's not a good example, because um, Alice and Alicia don't like each other that much that they should live together preferably in bunk beds for the next seven years until they learn to, that they can't live without each other. Like, that's actually a beautiful thing. And the ability to press through and to do that is the exact same capacity that allows us to love God. Like, when we choose to do that, okay, there's no one in this room that wants a roommate. We all want to have our own rooms. Okay, fine, no one's willing to be honest, so I'll just say it on behalf of everybody. Like, you all want your own rooms. But, but, but bunking up to, so that you press into a place where like, if the other person farts too loud or if their poop is a little bit stinky or if they pick their teeth after they eat or if the, like, 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 you know, or like they're talking loudly on the phone like, you know, in all their Zoom meetings, like, like, these are the things actually that shape your ability to love God. I'm, I'm not joking. Like, these are the things that shape your ability to love God. But when you have an Instagrammed version of the world where the only things you recognize about other people are the things that they specifically, you know, with a filter, like, that, like where, you know, that, like, if that's the, the, the way that we relate to people uh, and, and we think that we love them because we like, enjoy this way of relating to them and we think that we love God because, because we think that we love people, we're deeply mistaken. That's not the way it is. Have you ever... Um, uh, read stories in the Bible where it seemed like men of God were, were, were struggling with God? Um, I, I, one of my favorite stories is where um, uh, Elijah, uh, uh, Ahab, uh, you may remember, takes Naboth's vineyard unrighteously. And uh, the Lord has a, has a word of, uh, of judgment against Ahab. He tells him that he's going to die and, you know, dogs and eat uh, the bones, like his bones in the street and like things like that, uh, Jezebel's bones, um, and all of his house is going to be burnt down and everybody's going to die. And, and it, God gives a word to Elijah and sends Elijah to give the word. Elijah must be the happiest guy on earth. I mean, because you know, he's a prophet of righteousness and Ahab is an unrighteous king. And, I mean, he deserves it, you know, is, is really what it is. I mean, Elijah must be the happiest guy. So Ahab gets the word, right? And the Bible says that Ahab tears his clothes and uh, fasts and pray and he repents because of the impending judgment of God. And, and God decides to have mercy on Ahab. And so God tells Elijah, and God doesn't send Elijah to tell him, but God tells Elijah, this is what the Bible says. This is the word of the Lord came to Elijah. And he said, have you seen how Ahab has fasted and prayed and humbled himself before me. I have decided I'm not going to judge him after all. What I'm actually going to do is push it off to a son's day. I'm not going to judge him after all. The Bible does not tell you what Elijah's reaction is because Elijah probably did not react in a godly way. I wouldn't. <laughs> I give, I'm, you know, I'm serious. Like, this is a guy that has caused me problems my whole life. And then, you know, it, like, finally, like, God is finally ready to judge him. And he allows me to give the word. God, what a glorious day. You know, this is a day that you're waiting for as a prophet. I'm just going to tell your enemy that God is going to sentence him to death. It's it. He's gone. His whole house is going to be gone. He deserves it. He deserves it for all the evil he's done. And then God changes his mind. Like, I mean, it's just like, like, I mean, would that make you happy? Would make you ha how would that make you happy? It, it, God is actually very difficult to love well. God is actually very difficult. And the reason that, that we think he's easy is because we don't see him, we're not close to him. But the ability to love people well by drawing close to them, is, is, it's the same skill set, it's the same sharpness, it's the same grace that allows us to actually to love God. You all know this, we are much more similar uh, to Hitler than we are to God. On a, scale, uh, on a scale from perfect righteousness to, let's say, perfect evil. I don't know if that exists, but theological, I don't know if that exists, but like, let's just say perfect evil. 
Where do you think you are? You're not here. No, I'm serious. Like, like, like th- 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 there's no one that's like right here. You know, I'm so close to God. I'm just like, no. Like, all humans are clustered probably like somewhere around here. Like, you know what I mean? Like, all humans are clustered somewhere, like somewhere in this area. The greatest saint you've ever met, you know, you, you've ever heard of in history um, to, you know, and then there's you somewhere and then there's like Hitler and Mussolini and, and like, but, but, but like, but we're, we're, we're like serial killers. Like, we're, we're all kind of clustered in this area. And so the distance between you and the worst person that has ever existed on, like, in the history of man is, is you know, it, 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 you're essentially neighbors compared to like, how far you are from God. Essentially neighbors. And so if you can't love your neighbor, how are you going to love God? If you can't love someone, if you can't express kindness to them, if you can't be patient with them, with, with someone who you have a chance of understanding, because we're also sinners, so we can understand other people's sin. If you can't love someone who, who you have a chance of understanding because they're fairly similar to you, the Bible says that all sin is common to man, right? Like, you know, there's no one who, like, you don't share their sin and you've never met anyone who's shared their sin. I mean, if you don't have the sin, you definitely know lots of other people that do. So, so if, we, if we don't love that person who we're essentially neighbors to, how can we possibly love a perfect God we couldn't understand in a million years because his wisdom is just, and his understanding is, and his ways are just high above our ways. Like there's no, we have no chance of understanding him. How could, we, how could we possibly, possibly love God? And that's why like, John is very insistent about this. If you don't love everyone around you that, you could, that you're kind of close to and could, clustered with and can understand, stop saying that you love God. It's a lie. Stop saying it. It's just not true. And so how do we love the people around us? Turns out the fact that they are sinners actually aids us in that pursuit. It means that there's a lot of different areas for our love to grab a hold. There's a lot of hooks, you know, for the love to grab a hold onto. There's lots of opportunities to be patient. There's lots of opportunities to overlook wrongs. There's lots of opportunity to forget wrongs that have been done. There's lots of opportunities to, to overlook a, uh, a judgmental word or um, uh, to, to, to forgive a selfishness. Like, there's lots of opportunities. So it turns out, actually, that other people's problems are of great benefit on our journey to trying to love God. A great benefit to us. And what that means is, perhaps, that we should do the most that we absolutely can to be as close as we can to the most sinful person that we can find who's willing to be close to us. I don't, does that make any sense? And people's problems should not be something that um, repels us, but it should be something that attracts us to them. And we, like Jesus, should be able to see people's potential through their problems. We, like Jesus, should have been able to see in the rich young man that yes, he is a materialistic man. Yes, it's unlikely that he gives up the wealth of this world. But if he were to, then he could be a really great disciple. And so Jesus, looking at him, loves him and says, there's just one thing that you lack, buddy. That was my insertion. Doesn't, Jesus didn't buddy him. One thing that you lack, but oh. You're very rich. The problem is not that you're rich. The problem is that I know and you know that the riches have your heart. And so if you're willing to give it up, give it to the poor, first of all, you have treasure in heaven, you're welcome. <laughs> and second of all, then you'll be ready to come and follow me. And unfortunately, the Bible says that it was not Jesus that rejected him. It was that he walked away because the price of getting close to Jesus was that he would have to leave his sin behind. And he wasn't willing to let that go. Allowing people to walk away from you is uh, very painful. <laughs> I don't know if, uh, it's very painful. But it just is part of life. It doesn't mean that you don't care about them. It means that there's only one way forward in relationship. And that way forward is to walk through the unlovely things about both of us so we can have a real relationship. But if we decide that we're going to hide, and just be like, ooh, you have green sails? I have purple sails, yay. Uh, you're never gonna have real, genuine, true relationship. Do you know? 
one of the more difficult things in life, I think, is how often even Christian leaders are very ex- afraid of exposing um, their sins uh, on the premise that they think either their people would abandon them or other people would abandon them or they'd be rejected or nobody would let them in the pulpit again if people knew that they were a sinner. <laughs> and what happens is that you have built a fence that will make you lonely your entire life. You'll always be alone because you're always going to be afraid of people finding out who you really are. What you don't see is that everybody that loves you already knows who you are. They can already see this stuff. And trying to avoid people seeing it only makes you alone. It only leaves you alone. The path to intimacy is embracing the fact that you're a sinner and stepping through that and letting people see that, stepping through that. And, and that's where you get real community. We're not going to have a community where we're just like, you know, you're great at this and I'm great at that and let's have community. That's not where you have community. Where you have community is be like, I am easily angered, you're easily greedy. Let's be friends. <laughs> That's love. Do you know? I am an introvert, you are an extrovert. Let's be friends. I mean, like, like that, 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 that's where you find. I love when people make choices that cause like, their problems and their stuff to be exposed to other people. Mentorship relationships, living together, uh, doing events together, working together, like, like and anything, that will, the, anything that allows you to step through that I love who you are so that I can see the things that I don't think are particularly easy to love, those are the choices that we should be making over and over and over again. Uh, the, what we don't want is to be a church where we see each other once a week and we put on our Sunday best and we put on our Sunday face and we, like, like that's what we don't want. We want, it, we want it to be a people that we're constantly exposed to each other so that if there is any weakness in us, if there is any darkness or any sin in us, there are other people that can see it because they're always with us. They're never away from us, you know? And, and, and that's actually a really beautiful and a really lovely thing. And, um, and, and that's the pathway to, to, to th- that's the pathway to a church that is unified. That's the pathway to a church where you feel fulfilled in the relationships that you have. I would um, encourage us to learn not to run away when people find out what, how terrible we are um, because everybody is terrible. And finding out how terrible someone is is, is, is part of the journey uh, to being able to love them. And it's also part of the journey to being able to love God. I have said like previously, I, I think it's true that I don't really trust someone until I know what their problems are. Um, luckily, uh, I think with, with a lot of young people, we don't hide our problems that well. And, and, and so, uh, you know, within 10 or 15 hours, you can sort of figure out what somebody's problems are. And, 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 and sometimes it takes a little bit longer than that. But at some point, at some point, they'll let it out, you know. At some point, it'll be exposed. And, and I'm going to be honest. Like, for me, that's not like, I hate you now. For me, it's like, oh, now we know the rules of the engagement. Like, n- now, we know where the, like now we know what the field looks like. Um, because previously, when it's just like, okay, you're hardworking, you're diligent, you're polite, you're generous, you're pretty, <laughs> everybody likes you, you're funny. Like, 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 like okay, this is ridiculous. Like, are you an, you're either an angel, you know, hosting angels unawares, which, you know, thank you, Jesus, if that's true, or you're hiding. And, and then I don't know who you are, and, and we can't actually be close. Because we're able to step through that we're able to be close. I, I have this on my heart because I think... Um, one of my goals, honestly, uh, which if those of the members you know, I, I, I really want God to be able to use this church to be peacemakers. I, I, like, I, I really want um, to be able to um, help. I, I hope it doesn't sound arrogant because it's, it's just something I like. But like, It's a beautiful thing to me when people that did previously didn't like each other are able to like each other again. Like, it's a beautiful thing when um, people are able to love one another and reconciliation works and all these things different work. What is not beautiful to me is fake reconciliation. What's not beautiful to me is fake repentance or fake forgiveness or like, you know, just, just painting it over and pretending like the hole in your wall doesn't actually exist because we covered it with wallpaper. That doesn't, that's not, that's not awesome. But in order to pursue reconciliation and peace in these things, we have to understand how it works. And the way that it works is that we have to embrace sin, understand sin, embrace sin, think about it, meditate on it, and be able to love through it. 
because that's where the substance of our love becomes real. John 4, which we just read, a few verses before the verses that we said, says that God is love. Do you know? And, and the message is that the longer that we are in God, the more that we become like him. And the more we become like him, the more that we love. And, and then it says this, and this is incredible. And he says, um, and uh, when we stand before him, we have nothing to fear because we will be just like him. I, I love that. There is no need for you to fear judgment if you are like God because he would not judge himself. The way to feel confident about standing before the judgment seat of God is to know that you are slowly becoming like him. And when you become like him, you can stand before him with great confidence. And then after that, it says perfect love. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And that doesn't mean there's no fear. People have misinterpreted this um, to, to, to say that um, if I feel loved, then I will not feel afraid. That's not what it says. What it says is that when you are loving, when you are love to others, you don't need to be afraid. It's in reference to God, it's the fear of God. It's that when you are loving of others that you have no need to fear God because you are like him, so there's nothing for you to fear. God doesn't fear himself. Does that make sense? If I love that because I have terror of God. I don't know if like, some people are like, I don't want the fear of God. I love the fear of God, but for me, I'm terror. Like I, like, I have utter terror, no, no idea. Um, we, we, this week we're reviewing applicants um, for Homeward and like, I'm living like, oh my God, I don't make a wrong choice. Like I'm just like utterly terrified that I might make a wrong choice because like imagine if, uh, if God brought you somebody um, and gave you the opportunity to help them and you said no. I mean, that's, that's, that's very scary. I don't, I don't know if, like for me, that's very scary. And, um, and, but the, and the reason I'm terrified is because I'm afraid that I'm going to make a choice that's different from the one that God would make. Does, does that make sense? And the, and the reason that I would make a choice different from the one that God would make is because I'm not like him. But if I were like him, that I would not make a choice that's different from the one he would make, and I would have no reason to be scared. And that's what it's saying, is that like, as we become more like him, then we can lose fear. There's no role for fear anymore because we become just like him. And that's the promise. The promise of, of embracing life of this way, of embracing radical intimacy, radical closeness, radical transparency, radical willingness for other people to see us as we are and draw close to them anyway and offer other people to be equally close to us so they can see who we are and allow them to be close to us anyway. That's the reward. The reward is actually that you learn to love and the reward is that you become like God. And the reward is that as that begins to happen that you will utterly lose any fear of one day standing before him and being judged by him because you will know that you're becoming like him. And as you are like him, there's no reason for him to judge you. So there's, there's no reason for you to be scared of judgment. I don't know if that is of any interest to anyone. That is of great interest to me. <laughs> it is of great interest to me to not have any fear whatsoever of standing for Jesus. Not because somebody told me that I shouldn't doctrinally be scared, but because I know in my heart there's nothing for him to judge because I've become like him. So far from that, that you wouldn't believe it, uh, but, but there's a promise in 1 John chapter 4 that we can become like him. There are plenty of Christians that tell you that you become like him when you uh, sort of go to heaven and you know, you're an heir with Christ and you know, heir of all creation and, and things of that sort. Throw that stuff away. Like, <laughs> if you want to be an heir with him, then you have to become like him. Do you know? And there's only two pathways that I know of in the Bible. The, the Bible actually says that suffering makes you like him. And, and, and it says that loving makes you like him. Choosing to love makes you like him. And this is, this is not a bug that we need to love imperfect people. This is the entire game. Do you know? There is no... Um, to, to put Jesus' words slightly differently, um, there's no reward in, to use an example, uh, uh, giving to a missionary who's perfect. There's a reward in giving to one who you know is deeply flawed, but you still believe in them. Does that make sense? There, there's, there's no reward in honoring your pastor when you think that like, he's the greatest man of God's ever lived. The reward is being able to see someone's gift and also being able to see their weakness and to be able to balance that in such a way that you honor them lovingly. There's no 
reward to celebrating someone who, there's no reward to celebrating Taylor Swift because you think she's the greatest singer that's ever lived. You don't know anything about her. There's a reward when you are still as big of a fan when you know all of her problems. Not because they've been exposed on tabloids, but, but like, do, like, do you know? Does that make any sense? Hopefully. And, uh, and so this is very, um, I, I just, I, I really believe that in our generation we can really live this out. I'll, I'll tell you what um, has motivated me, and then I'm going to quit here because it's getting late, and I don't know how I talked this long. Um, Britney Spears' memoir came out this week. I don't know if you knew that. Did you know that? Okay. Kenesha knew that. <laughs> Praise the Lord, Kenesha. So the, our uh, r- rabid reader of People magazine. Okay, uh, <laughs> uh, just kidding. Okay, Britney Spears' memoir um, came out this week, and I did not read it. Uh, but I didn't have time. Um, so good. It was so good. Okay, all right. Um, it was, okay, so thank you. So every, now everybody knows Faith has told us. It's very good. Considered. Oh, I was going to tell you with that. Okay, all right, great. And um, I, I, I read enough of the press around it to know that it's a very sad story. It's a very sad story. It's a very sad story that when you're gifted, what happens is that people use you and people abuse you, and you can be trapped inside a life of success. It's very sad that uh, she was not physically, but um, just uh, um, in the structure in life, abused by her own father. You know, that she was trapped in a forced to perform, forced to, you know, uh, do certain things that, uh, she was forced to get an abortion. She was forced to like, you know, I, I, it, 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 it's just a tragic story. And, and when you have these superstars and you know, they're, t- they're 12 years old and they're brought into this life where everything they do you know, is told to them, they're handled by publicists and they don't have any real life and there's no real intimacy, no real friends and everybody wants to expose them. And if you can find something wrong with them or a picture of them, then you, know, you sell for a million dollars. Like that is a very sad, that's a very sad life and a very sad existence. I would just... I, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like compassion, you know? I, there's no, no envy whatsoever for success or for money. I just compassion, like sadness that anyone would have to live a life of like modern slavery, you know, like uh, uh, in someone that, that everybody else thinks is this picture of, you know, attractiveness or something else. Very, very, very sad. And then realizing, as I was thinking about that, that so many Christians live the exact same life because we are so scared of our sin being exposed, of our imperfection being exposed, of anybody seeing us as anything other than the Instagram version of ourselves. That's really sad. That's really sad that most people have nobody to talk to about who they actually are, because if they were to talk to anyone, they'd be rejected. If any minister were to talk to anyone, that their donations were, like that is a very sad world in which we live. And what I want, us to really understand is that that is not the world that God has created. He has not created a world in which we are supposed to present ourselves as perfect in order to be accepted. He has created a world in which our sin is a feature of the community that he's asked us to build. Just like when the cow poops, you should be like, hooray, it means that he did all our work today. I mean, not always, sometimes the cow's lazy, but you know, it means that he worked and he ate and he pooped. Like, hooray, the cow's alive, he pooped. Now I have to scoop it, but he pooped. It's the same thing. Like when we see sin, when we see weaknesses, when we see flaws, when we see confusion, when we see incompetence, hooray, that's the life that is in our midst. That means that we are not part of a dead world, a dead community where everybody's just a plastic surgeon version of themselves. You know, so much Botox that there's no wrinkles. Like it, it, we don't live in that. We live in a place where people can be themselves. And I want to encourage you really to pursue those relationships where you are so fully exposed because that's where you will feel most alive and that's where you will feel most loved. And that's where you will begin to really understand what it means to love and to be loved and to step into the relationship that God wants to have with you. You will never be able to hide your stuff from God. And our, the limit of our intimacy with God is not that God doesn't want anything to do with us. It's that you may not recognize this like consciously, but we reject God because of our sin. It's Adam that ran away from God. God did not run away from Adam when he sinned. And there's something in us that if we are, we've not trained ourselves to be comfortable with who we are being, you know, fully visible to everyone, then there, there's a 
there's a boundary between us and God. We may not see it, but it's true. And we can live on the other side of this boundary our whole life, perform, do our gifts, walk at our calling, do our careers, um, and never draw any close to him, even though we pretend like it because we have a lot of activity, because we're unwilling for our sin to be known, for our sin to be obvious to everyone. And I, I want to just believe that it's possible for a group of people to step beyond that and to be true and to be real and to discover a, a love and a, and a community and an intimacy that, that, that just doesn't seem possible in this very fake world. So well, why don't we stand? I went way too long. Sorry about that. Um, why don't we stand? And um, I want to pray and uh, invite um, Emily to come up here and worship again. But Father, I just pray that you would really lay a burden upon us and upon our hearts, God, to know you and to, to recognize these things um, and to push in to a real and to a tangible knowledge and experience of you. Because I just cry out, God, for that. Father, I don't want to live a whole life uh, that is a performance for other people. But I'll just say for myself that I want to be known as I am. And to be related to as I am, not as uh, some hero, but just as, just as a dude. And, and I pray, Lord, that, that you would form in this place a church that is able to live and walk out that exact same principle. That we would not run away disheartened when our problems are exposed. But Lord, that we would actually choose to step in in that moment, knowing, God, that that's part of the path to really loving one another and to really demonstrating that we are your people and that you are our God. Lord, if we cannot love the sin in the church, how will we love the sin out there in the world? How is it possible that we would not be able to love the people that we know, but pretend to love the people that we don't know? I just want to ask God that you don't let us live under that delusion. But save us, God, from the life of pretending. Save us, God, from needing to put on makeup and Instagram ourselves before we show ourselves to others. Save us, God, from that life. But let us be comfortable, Lord, in who we are. Let us be comfortable, God, in who you've created us to be and not to be ashamed of who we are, but just to be real, to be humble, but to be real. And we thank you, Lord, that you've given us these 60, 80, 100 years to live on this earth and to learn to love sinners, knowing, God, that that very activity is what trains us and teaches us how to love you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to pursue the things that are true and good in your eyes. Thank you, God, that we don't have to pretend at all. Thank you, God, that we can embrace the fullness of you and the fullness of everybody that you've placed all around us. And we pray, God, that you would do that very much in us. Today, God, before we leave this place, I pray that if there's any pride in us, any self-righteousness in us, any spiritual pride in us, any desire to hide who we are so that other people could like us more or accept us more, Father, I pray that you would just melt that away in this time of worship they're about to have. Father, we offer to you the fullness of ourselves, not some filtered version of us, but the fullness of us, all the wrinkles, all the blemishes, all the, all the sin, the whole history of who we are, everything that we've ever done wrong, and the things that we continue to do wrong today, the foolishness, all of it, God, we offer to you all of it. We thank you that you don't reject any part of us, but you love all of us. And we pray, Lord, that you would create a community of people here that are able to do that. And I pray, Lord, that as we are given opportunities to reach outside of this church to students, to the people we work with, uh, to the people that you've allowed us to minister to or to serve. Father, I pray that you would allow us to project that out of this church to all the people that you've given to us to reach. A love that does not judge. A love that does not exclude, but also a love that does not pretend. And we pray that you would somehow, by your divine magic that only you possess, that you would somehow allow this church to walk that out. That somehow we would be able to be people that are truly able to love, not in some superficial way, not in some, you know, a few good works, 
and a few rounds of applause way, but that but truly, truly love, truly celebrate, truly honor, truly lift up, truly, truly value, truly, 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 truly embrace, truly draw close in every way. Thank you for all that. I thank you for the opportunity to chase this. Thank you for the opportunity to walk this out. And I pray, Lord, that you would cause us to value this. In Jesus' name, amen.